Welcome back to Seeking Sanctuary House to Heart, a podcast about abuse, trauma, and finding healing in the arms of Christ. As a quick warning, this podcast does deal with difficult descriptions of abuse, and so it might contain content that some people find triggering or difficult to hear. So we do encourage you to do whatever you need to to take care of yourself while you're listening. As always, I'm your host, Hannah Fordyce from House of Faith and Freedom. You can check us out online at houseoffaithandfreedom.org, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Before we jump in, I'm just going to say a quick prayer over our uh, survivor story today. Mm -hmm. Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity to gather with um, Nikki, with our guests today. Um, This is such an incredible opportunity to hear about the ways that you restore, the ways that you bring our testimonies full circle, the way that you work things that are harmful in the past for good in the future. We pray that you would fill our conversation with you, that you would be with each listener who's listening right now, that they would feel your presence, your goodness, your truth. We ask that first and foremost, everything that we do would honor you. We pray all this in your precious name. Amen. As always, I am here today again with my co-host, Nikki. Yeah, thanks, Hannah. Thanks for praying. Um, So good. Yes, I'm Nikki, and today we're looking forward to sharing the space with this woman of God and survivor, and actually her husband is with us too. So we're here with both Abby and Zeke. And Abby is actually the daughter of one of our past guests, Kristen, who just shared her story in the previous episode. So if you haven't listened to that, please take some time to do so. That said, thanks so much for you both being here. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah. So we know that speaking about your personal story of abuse is not easy. And so I want to take a moment to thank you both for your willingness and openness and courage and bravery. It is always okay to share your experience, your story. And sometimes it can be easy to feel like it might be hurtful or harmful, but we know that we share this baseline of love in Christ. And um, we're thankful for the opportunity to, to just be here with you guys. So if you don't mind, why don't you tell us a little bit about why you decided to share your story? Yeah, well, there's a few reasons. First, my mom shared her story and I think it's so cool to hear not only her perspective, um, but now as as a child in the situation, I think that that offers a cool perspective. I know I have been really blessed specifically by this podcast, listening to it. And while most of the stories are about marriages in particular, there's a lot of overlap with being the child and a lot of the things that my mom experienced, I obviously experienced in a slightly different way, but I felt very seen by listening to the podcast and validated that my experiences were kind of universal in a way and that I wasn't crazy. I wasn't the only one. And the overarching reason, I know Nikki, you and I uh, have had conversations and I felt really prompted by the Lord the Lord laid it on my heart a while ago and then laid it on your heart. And so. (laughs) Oh, that is so true. 
Yeah. And something that you bring up that makes a lot of sense is that abuse is isolating. Abuse is hard to understand. Abuse is a word we often hear crazy making. A lot of survivors use that phrase specifically. I felt crazy. I felt insane. And that can be challenging for adults to understand, let alone kids, when that's the environment that they grow up in. So my question for you, or kind of the first question diving into your story here is, when did you first begin to notice that something was off in your home environment, whether that was your interactions with your dad or witnessing your parents' interactions with one another? Yeah, great question. I I think our bodies recognize a lot sometimes before we do. And I remember when I was younger, specifically, uh, my mom was a stay-at-home mom and then had a business that she ran. And so she ran that in the evenings when we were home from school. And my dad would often be the one watching us as she went and met with her clients. And I remember being worried each time my mom would leave, not knowing how my dad would react to having all of us kids at home without my mom, you know, doing bedtime routine and things like that. I don't think I necessarily recognized right away at first that his behavior wasn't normal for a dad. I didn't know anything different. And I guess I just assumed like all my, all my classmates probably had dads that were the same way. I mean, I always dismissed it as a kid because I was like, oh, I'm disobedient. Like I should just obey my dad right away. And yes, that is, that is good. Um, But as kids, I was learning that behavior and um, the aggression would usually start with tensions rising, him yelling, um, would progress to swearing and then in that name calling swearing. And then from that was the physical aggression with like pushing. I remember quite a few times, like literally, I don't know what this position is called, but I'd, I'd curl up in it like a ball to protect my head and just knew that like, that was how my body responded was was mm. to back to my head because a lot of times that was like the first the first body part he would go after like hitting wise there was sometimes grabbing um and then there was one traumatic time where i don't remember why but he he like laid on top of me not in like a sexual way but laid on top of me so that i couldn't move i don't remember why but i remember feeling very panicked and very obviously constricted movement wise and like couldn't breathe. And as, as a kid, that's like very panicking when your dad who's mm. tall um, and very muscular is preventing you from moving by laying on me. One of the very first times, I don't remember the scenario, but I remember being at Target and I think it was the day after one of these episodes had happened and there was a mark on my face And my mom, I remember she took a picture and sent it to their marriage counselor because that obviously was not okay. That not only was there physical aggression towards me, um, but it had left a mark on my face. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When you say the word, you know, feeling panicked, what I sense when I hear that is like the immediate beginnings of voicelessness where... How do you even put words to that, especially as a kiddo? How did you begin to to process this? And that's uh, that would even be such a lofty word for a kid too. So how did you even begin to to speak about it? Yeah, obviously it started like within the home. I always felt like my siblings were kind of isolated. It often the aggression was just towards me. 
or sorry, the physical aggression was often just towards me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the verbal aggression towards my siblings was there. But I mean, almost every single time I would rightfully run away to seek safety. And I remember one distinct time where I ran down to my bedroom and was like sobbing on the floor because that's really overwhelming for anyone, uh, let alone a kid. Mm-hmm. And I remember my mom coming down and comforting me because she was often the comforter. And I remember like pleading with her and begging that she would do something because I knew that it wasn't okay, but also feeling very hopeless and not really sure what to do about the situation. I knew something was wrong, but at the same time, I didn't fully understand that what was happening really wasn't normal. I kind of knew, but that feeling hadn't been validated yet that the behavior that was going on was not not normal. Um, so when I got older, uh, specifically in middle school and high school, I started to share it with some friends. It was something that was a part of my testimony. And I remember using the word abuse for them, but kind of being scared that if my family found out that I was using the word abuse, that they would be really upset and think that I was overreacting. But at the same time, that's the word that felt the most accurate to the situation. I think a lot of times we hear about other forms of abuse or like really severe cases of abuse that often lead to bigger consequences like death. And so I felt like, yes, it was a really terrible situation, but I also didn't know if it categorized as abuse at the time. Something that we don't talk about very often is the reality that we normalize behavior we're around. Mm-hmm. And that happens all the time in abuse. Part of that is, is it's just the culture we live in. So it becomes the everyday. It becomes our, our system of normal. And the other part of it, I think, is cultural, just in the sense that historically, when we've talked about abuse in the cultural vernacular, we talk about physical violence that's really severe. We talk about, you know, the the murders. We talk about the extreme bruises and broken bones and lacerations. And it can inadvertently end up minimizing the oppressive cultures that exist in family systems where there's abuse. Um, something else I wanted to touch on, going back actually for a second to some of the physical aggressions that you were experiencing as a kid, is do you feel like that actually changed the way that you engaged with your dad versus your mom? Yeah. Yes. Um, I always felt safer going to my mom about things because I knew that she would answer or handle a situation with more level-headedness. I never had to worry about feeling unsafe around my mom or I never felt like I had to manage almost like her reaction to things. Uh, Versus my dad, I felt like I had to be on my best behavior and almost like I I knew the right things to say so that I wouldn't make him really frustrated. And I remember feeling like I had to manage my siblings' emotions so that my dad would not do the same thing to them that he had done to me. Granted, they're their own humans and it did not always work, but I remember feeling that responsibility that I needed to like protect them and, and make sure that they kept their emotions in check so that they wouldn't get in trouble for my dad. Mm-hmm. It makes me think of, um, we had a guest earlier in the season who is a, a counselor based out of Colorado that specializes in narcissistic abuse. And one of the things that she was talking about 
was how children who grow up in families where there's an abuse dynamic between the parents or where there's some element of that abuse trickling down to the kids, they have a tendency to be really, really perfectly behaved when they're with the abusive parent and to misbehave much more when they're with the parent that's being victimized or the safe parent. And that's a confusing dynamic. Sometimes the kids seem so much worse when they're with the safe parents. Like they just misbehave more and they act out more and they have more temper tantrums. And she was like, that's so normal because they know they can do that there. They know they're safe enough and that they'll be loved no matter what their reaction or their response or their emotion is. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's good and very accurate. I remember my mom sharing that's with the non-abusive parent. Kids feel safer and so they will. They will lash out or... Mm -hmm. Like you said, they're they're safe. And so that made sense then looking at my siblings and how they were responding. Um, that made sense as to why why they often lashed out at my mom versus my dad. Yeah. So what were some of the the first people outside of the family that that you decided to tell or to start talking about what was going on inside the home for you? Yeah, I think it started with friends. And so as a girl who had grown up in the church, sharing my testimony with people, and that was a part of my testimony. I had one friend a few different times where I literally ran out of the house with no shoes on, grabbed my phone and called a friend and shared with her what was going on. And she came and picked me up. And I think her, I believe her parents had a conversation with my mom as well, just how worried they were for, for me in that situation and my siblings. So it started with friends. I'd shared it with my dance teacher. There was one night where it had happened. Um, I don't know if we want to call it like an episode, but it had happened and I had to go to dance later. And I was happy to be going to dance because it it brought me out of it. Like I had some place to go that was not around my dad. But as a teenager, dealing with a lot of just heavy emotions, not fully being able to process it, I remember telling my dance teacher and kind of breaking down to her And then again in high school, it was my freshman year, kind of towards the end of the school year, I was kind of fed up with feeling really helpless and like not really knowing what to do. It was like a day after an episode had happened uh, with my dad and I decided to bring it to the school counselor and share kind of what was going on. And if I remember correctly, kind of in the back of my mind, I was like, I know a counselor has to do like I, I know that they have to take steps like they can't just take in this information. And I don't remember necessarily her response to me other than her listening and then communicating that she was going to need to call CPS. And I remember being okay with that. I wasn't really sure what that was going to look like. I had only ever really heard not bad things about CPS. It's kind of an unknown world and the automatic association is just foster care. So I wasn't really sure, but her choosing to call CPS in my mind, was a very validating action that like something needed to be done. It was really relieving because it it was that step. I, to be honest, thought that I knew my dad would be upset. I thought my mom was going to be upset. She wasn't. Um, and then I later found out that the CPS worker had called all my siblings out of their class one by one to have conversations with them. This left my siblings feeling very confused. Uh, and I don't know if they felt scared, but they you could tell that they were definitely frustrated and confused that I had gone to 
the school counselor and kind of revealed this information. I later found out down the road that one of my sisters was frustrated with my mom and kind of felt like, mom, why aren't you doing anything? Like, why aren't you protecting dad? And I know that it, it was scary because I didn't really know what CPS entailed, so I imagine they didn't either. But I know that they were frustrated at the beginning that I had, that I had called or that I had, like I said, alluded to this information and revealed it. Your mom also mentioned in her podcast episode that CPS was called and and she talks a little bit about their response essentially being like, if you are not leaving physical marks on your child, you can discipline however you want, mm-hmm. which is, I would say, a disconcerting statement from a CPS worker. Um, that may be state law, but I would not suggest telling parents that. And and regardless, it's interesting because you have literally mentioned that in your past marks have been left, right? I was really frustrated when I found out that that's what the worker, the social worker had told my mom and my dad, that it was okay to discipline your kid as long as there weren't marks. And then, like you had mentioned, I was so confused because I was like, but there have been marks. So I don't know, like, even in that, I was frustrated because I, one, I don't agree with um, how my dad handles situations by being physically aggressive. And I, I was shocked that a social worker said, yep, that's fine as long as there's no marks, but there were marks. And so, um, did they ever interview you? I, I don't remember them interviewing me, but it, I've always heard that the CPS program, there's like really great people and wonderful people. Um, and then there's people, I mean, really like any, any job that are not great. And I think we unfortunately got someone that was just kind of dismissive. I want to say it was a man, and I don't know if that has to do anything with it. I very very well so could have been projecting this because my my dad's obviously a male. Uh, but if I remember correctly, it was a male. And it did feel very dismissive as a kid because I obviously did not feel safe in my home and obviously told counselors for a reason. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I mean, there was relief of like something is going to happen, hopefully. And then nothing happened. Correct. Well, at that point, I mean, what did you do this is this is now high school you're what grade freshman I was a freshman yeah so you no. still have three more years living at home before you graduate at that point were you like well I guess this is my life for the next three years and I'm just gonna have to endure it until I move out yeah um that thought wasn't necessarily something that went through my mind um I think I subconsciously was just surviving middle school and high school are just crazy in itself so that was just like one layer was my was my dad I was in a very serious relationship in high school with a not so great guy who in some ways not physically but in some ways did display characteristics of my dad and so that was a lot of like my high school years um was then just like trying to survive high school (laughs) but I do remember thinking to myself eventually like when I do leave the house like I knew I was strong enough to deal with my my dad and my family situation I was more worried about my siblings and whether or not the physical aggression would would like no longer be on me and be on one another one of my siblings or if it would get worse I felt this this need to like control the situation and I was really worried about my siblings when I left because I didn't know how my dad was going to react mm-hmm one of the last larger 
I keep calling it episodes. It was one of the last larger episodes mm-hmm. that had taken place. I think I was a junior in in high school and it happened to be Valentine's Day and we were all sitting downstairs as a family and my brother, he is the only boy. And so I know that creates a really interesting dynamic between him and my dad, um, both in a very lovingly way. I know that my dad sees a lot of himself in my brother, uh, but I also think then adds certain tension because they are the two boys. And so I just remember my brother was was disobedient about something and pushing back. At this point, he was in middle school, so he's starting to grow. And I don't remember what necessarily they were arguing about, but it got really intense enough so where the thought crossed my mind like he, it, I mean, at, well, I should say this. It got to the point where my dad was verbally threatening to hurt my brother. Like, um, I believe it was slapping slapping was the phrase he used and I was so worried that I literally scooped up my brother I remember thinking I don't know how I'm gonna pick him up I don't know how I'm supposed to run but I'm gonna do it and I remember picking him up and physically running away with him because I was so scared that my dad was actually going to hurt my brother Hmm. yeah wow and even as you say that even right now I'm thinking of those oldest siblings out there um, that I'm sure can absolutely relate. So what you're saying, even right there, in regards to feeling an extra measure of responsibility, uh, is, I'm sure, validating for many oldest siblings out there. What would you say to an older sibling like that, or even to yourself in that moment? That's a really good question. I don't know if I've ever thought of that. Um just that I mean I wish all kids knew kids in these situations knew that this isn't first of all normal that you should feel safe in your home and I think as an older sibling there's a lot of a lot of responsibility on our shoulders and that's beautiful in some ways but at the same time it 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 doesn't have to and I think what I would tell my younger self is I'm sorry, and I'm I'm sad that you had to go through that. Um, that that's not normal, not healthy, and and just sad that that's that's the case. That it feels like you have to control the situation, and I'm sorry that your father is reactive in that way, and that you don't have to control the situation. You should you shouldn't have to. It's unfortunate that as like kids were in this but you shouldn't feel like you have to control your parents' emotions or behaviors, especially as a kid. Like, as a kid, there's the freedom to learn, and it's sad when adults don't have the grace and and the understanding to allow kids to learn. I'm thinking right now about my my nephew. I have a nephew who's two and a half, Mm -hmm. and uh, I was just at home visiting my brother and his wife, and they're... uh, two-year-old is going through a screaming phase where he has discovered anger as an emotion. And like, you know, if something doesn't go his way, he'll just stand there and scream. And I was joking with my brother about how we still experience those emotions. Kids just don't know how to contain it or how to cope with it or how to deal with it. And that's something that hopefully as we grow and as we age and as we develop, we learn coping mechanisms and we learn tools to manage our emotions. When you're in unhealthy homes, you just learn masking. 
how do I just hide everything or bury everything because I can't bring it up or it, mm-hmm. we, you know, my parent taking their emotions out on me. Yeah. It's interesting because there, there's almost an expectation. Like I think about my brother, there is almost an expectation that he responded as an adult. But what's ironic is the adult, my dad in this case, was not not even acting in a healthy way with his emotions. Yeah, actually, I have a quick question too. Like, how did your dad usually react after an episode? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so usually we would separate. I would always go to my room to calm down, usually cry. A lot of times that just drained me. And so sometimes I would fall asleep. He a lot of times would come down to talk about it. And he would usually apologize for overreacting um, and reacting the way he did. If I were to now look at it as an adult, there wasn't a lot of ownership. There was an acknowledgement that things got out of hand, but there wasn't an acknowledgement or an ownership. And even just like a sadness, like I I don't have kids, but I've been responding to Zeke when I've done and said hurtful things to him. I'm really sad with how I responded. And there's like a strong conviction that that was gross and unhealthy and not okay. And I imagine that will be the same way with kids. And to my dad, there was never like a deep sadness that that was how he responded to his kid. Mm-hmm. Right. There's like the remorse of it, but not the repentance. We yes. talk about this distinction a lot in our trainings. Like remorse is, I feel really bad that I did the thing or the results of the thing or that I got caught doing the thing or that I'm suffering the consequences of the thing. Mm-hmm. But I'm not actually repentant. I don't feel this like internal brokenness yep. or my behavior that is going to result in some kind of a, a systemic change in my life. Uh, hopefully this isn't too much of a diversion here, but... I'm curious then how you balanced that as far as understanding with being in a Christian home. I mean, did you feel like your perception of God was more preserved or altered or how Mm -hmm. how did you handle that? Yeah. Um, Well, I can start with I remember distinctly growing up almost every single morning coming downstairs, like after getting ready for school and my mom reading her Bible, reading her devotional. She was always very involved with like groups around church, being in Christian community. Um, She was always the person to pray over us if we were ever like sick or anxious. She was often the one that I went to when having like the conversations, even just spiritual questions, like things I was wrestling with or things that I was learning. She was the one that I went to. I realized as I was growing up, I'd always heard that my dad loved the Lord, um, but his actions were very different than my mom's. And looking back on it now as as an adult, there's not a lot of fruit in his life, like the fruits of the spirit. It was always kind of my mom that was like the Christian. I remember thinking in high school, I know where my mom's at. I don't really know if my dad is saved or not. I would say with all of that going on, It made me cling to Jesus and never affected my relationship with the Lord poorly. However, when I did get older to be an adult, I remember mourning just the fact that my earthly father was not a good reflection of my heavenly father and being really saddened by it. I was never angry about it, but just sad that that was like the reality. And the Lord knew that. Um, And 
was very comforting, but just I remember mourning how sad I was that that was the case. We know as victims the stress that we're under, and therefore the last thing we want is stress for our kids. And we know with your mom, her heart was to go to the father about how to have open conversations with you and how much to share, how much not to share. You don't want to throw your your spouse under the bus and you're not trying to be divisive. So then when your mom decided that it was time to at least set a loving boundary of separating, were you a part of conversations at all with her about her doing that? And from your experience, what kind of communication was helpful from your mom around the situation? Yeah, most of the conversations that happened kind of happened towards the end. I think for a really long time, she tried to protect us. I had my own thoughts about the situation. She started talking to me when I would bring it up. Like, I think through all of the scenarios and even the scenarios now, like when my siblings have questions, they are the ones prompting. I think the safety in that is it, it then is the fallback of like, we brought the question up versus my mom coming to us and almost comes across as ranting. That is a really big difference in my mind. I think of the conversations I've had with my mom versus the conversations that I've had with my dad. I think back to all of the conversations and anything my mom said was very honoring to my dad while also still speaking truth. And so she would share a lot of her experiences Um, while being very truthful about my dad's actions, but then more so focusing on how they made her feel, talking about like what the Bible says. Um, And the conversations were never like everything all at once. It was very like she would answer the questions in a very truthful way. It sounds like she had a godly perspective of waiting on the Lord's timing of when to say something and and when not to. And I, I love the fact that she kind of let you take the lead on that. And granted, you were older Mm -hmm. at that time. But yeah, it sounds like she put that in your court in a healthy way. Yeah, my mom and I have a really great relationship. And so her and I would have conversations. And I remember there was one night in particular, I don't remember how the conversation started. But I remember sitting down and and she was able to share a lot of her experience that I had never heard before. I'd only really known my side of things and what I witnessed, but I didn't really see things behind closed doors. And so she was very careful, uh, but did share some major events that had taken place kind of through their whole marriage and what it looked like when it started and then how it, it progressed. She was very careful to still honor honor my dad while speaking truth. Hmm. There was one conversation that was brought up about the idea of a biblical separation. And Zeke and I, initially were very against it just because I had grown up in Christian culture where the automatic mentality is divorce is bad unless there's adultery. And we ended up having a conversation with my parents' counselor who had been seeing them for a very long time. And he lovingly explained and answered our questions about what a biblical separation would look like, um, you know, indicating that they would be separate. It wouldn't be separation through like the state, but it would be under like heavy surveillance of counselors and pastors, a lot of accountability. And the intention is to almost like 
really spend intentional time, particularly for my dad. I mean, really for my dad, for him to say, okay, this is a wake up call. I clearly need to get better. And I may be blind to some of those things, but I need help. You mentioned the goal of a biblical separation, mm-hmm. being some form of repentance, some kind of behavioral change, some form of accountability. When this was enacted, was your dad on board with that? Oh, no. He was not on board. When we were more in agreement with my dad, he was very vocal about a lot of things. He shared a lot with us, I think, to the point where it was too much, like even more with Z, to the point where it was unhealthy. Um, But he was very much so not on board the last like two years where there were a lot of stronger, more intentional conversations about a biblical separation and a lot of major efforts to help my dad to get to the point of a strong conviction and repentance. And through that, my dad became very frustrated and very angry with those people and a lot of vocal opinions on his end about being really frustrated with a lot of the people that called him out, often tearing those people down and tearing their character down in order to be like, it's fine. See, I don't need to, quote unquote, like hear from them or learn from them because they're terrible anyways. Even when you're talking about your dad's response to the idea of separation, mm-hmm. it wasn't like it was starting off at a point of repentance there. I mean, it sounds like it was just, I'm angry that this is the fallout, but now I have to suffer this separation, this humiliation, these consequences. I mean, it doesn't sound like it was voluntary. Was this just your mom being like, I need to separate right now and the church is doing this? Or was he in any way willing to work with the counselors that wanted to supervise? Um, From my understanding, there's a lot of layers to the counseling. And I know my mom talked about it. There was on and off marriage counseling. Um, my mom had a lot more contact with their marriage counselor because she was willing and, and needed it, wanted it. My dad, again, to my understanding, it was on and off. And I remember as a kid, you know, they would talk about going to marriage counseling. So I was well aware of it as a kid and kind of was like, yeah, that makes that makes sense. You're going to marriage counseling. Like, I, I, I see you fighting in a certain way. He had a lot of conversations. Like, I know there was an intervention with some of the guy friends in their small group that had known my parents for 20 plus years. So there was a deep relational aspect that we love you. We also cannot let you continue to behave like this. I know there were pastors in our church that also attempted to intervene. My dad was meeting with one and very quickly was like, yeah, no, I don't want to do this anymore. So there was always semi-attempts from my dad, but never like a, a consistent follow through. And some of the people he would talk to, again, now looking at it, Um, I think a lot of the people he liked being around were the people that kind of encouraged the behavior that he was doing that like, it's fine. It's, it's both of you versus the call out, the call out, the conviction is what feels the most exposing. uh, But that's where it starts. And that was lacking. Yeah. And I think a lot of times, individuals who are using abusive behaviors, they're doing that to mask a discomfort. I mean, Literally, even earlier when we were talking about emotional regulation, a lot of abusive individuals tend to just blame their reactions on external factors like, oh, you provoked me or it was the alcohol or it was the drugs or it was whatever. They're going to find some external thing to justify the behavior. When we think about that inability or unwillingness to learn how to emotionally regulate, um, 
Man, I was literally, I was just talking to a pastor. And one of the things that he was saying to me around abuse that he finds very frustrating in the church is that if he calls it out in a couple, like the wife comes or the husband comes, whoever the victim is, they come forward and they say, you know, I want you to intervene. I want you to say something. He would then say something and he was like, nine times out of 10, whoever the perpetrator is, they leave the church. After they have been confronted, they walk away. And it is so frustrating. And I think it's because they don't like that exposed feeling and they don't want to have to deal with the repercussion. It's easier to find someone who's going to continue to enable that behavior and enable them to keep justifying it and to live in this self-created reality that they have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was definitely something that I witnessed. Yeah, and I think this actually leads to an interesting dichotomy, which is that individuals who abuse are still people. They're full of good and bad, and those things are all mixed together, right? They're not just villains. Like, we always want to characterize people as one thing, but they're not. All of us are sinful. All of us are broken. All of us have propensities towards certain sins or certain behaviors or certain bad habits. And abuse is certainly one of those and a very deep-seated one. But the reality is your dad is not only an abuser, right? He is many things. How have you wrestled with that reality? I'm thinking specifically of this phrase your mom said when we interviewed her, where she said 70 to 80% of the time our marriage is decent or even good. But the 20 to 30% that it was bad, it was really bad. So when we think about mixing those two weighted things, as an adult, how have you wrestled through loving this charming, fun part of your dad and also dealing with the angry and abusive and more immature side of your dad? Yeah, I think as a kid, it I wrestled with it way more because it felt more black and white. It felt like it he was either a good dad or a bad dad. And n- now that I'm older, it's still been a really strong wrestle to wrestle with the fact that there's a lot of good and a lot of things I love about my dad and really value um, and I think are like beautiful, unique characteristics. But there's mm-hmm. still this really yucky, sinful side. I've come to the point, me personally, where I'm okay with both. It's more so when I try to tell someone my story or a portion of my story who knows my dad or has been around my dad that it it almost feels like I'm trying to manage how other people are perceiving because it'd be really easy for people to see. And I even, I know my mom has shared this, like when she would share with her her really close friends, they see this really charming and great side of my dad who's very helpful, um, who like loves on people and treats many people very well. It was more so managing other people's perception, not even, it was more of like a managing, almost feeling like I had to manage it to be like, he's really great, but also there's this yucky side and almost trying to feel like I had to help those people through it. Cause I had already come to the conclusion that he could be both and he is. And it, it's more of like almost like holding your breath when you're explaining it to people because they automatically think through their interactions with him and he's really great. And he is to most people. Uh, but when you're closer to someone, when you live with someone, you see a lot of their, their gross sides, their, their really sinful side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perfect segue. Perfect segue. Uh, this is a unique podcast in that it is the first time that we have had a survivor story where we also include a spouse. Mm. Um, and so 
Yeah. We're super happy to have you with us. And I think this is where it's interesting because you actually did experience this from the other side of of meeting Abby and and dating her and getting engaged and getting married and and having this sort of superficial initial interaction with her dad. What was the experience like? What was your relationship like with him early on in the relationship? And then what was your journey into understanding this this yucky side, as Abby says? Uh, well, it's a long story, so I'll try to sum it up here and forgive my voice just getting over a cold here. Uh, so I might sound a, a little bit like a 12-year-old going through puberty right now. Uh, to answer your question, uh, immediately, me and her dad connected. The minute that I met him, I like felt like he was a very welcoming person. It, it was kind of like a contagious personality that he had that you just wanted to be around. Uh, and again, that was from the outside coming in. And so I immediately wanted to earn his respect, I guess you could say. Like I just wanted to um, develop a relationship with him. So from almost immediately clarifying my expectations with Abby, his daughter, and you know all that stuff asking him for even his permission to ask her out and stuff like that was really important to me um we had common interests we loved spending time together we even had some common ideals and a little bit further on into our relationship often we would even hang out without abby <laughs> we would just like go on excursions and do stuff like seeing movies and stuff like that and so when all of this happened like in reference to the separation and things such as uh, when all of that started to unfold, I'd say at that point where we were in our relationship, I was fully on his side, I'd say, um, in support of him. And so I had a misconception of what I thought to be solely a marriage issue. And I honestly thought it was because of Abby's mom's unwillingness to work through it. So this was only because I hadn't taken the care or time to hear her side of the story, obviously. At the time, I would have thought him to not only be my father-in-law, but actually I would profess to many people that I viewed him as one of my best friends. So I think the difficulty of the situation at hand and the change that I knew was developing and in the works made my heart hard toward exploring any alternatives to what I had heard from him because I trusted him so deeply and would say I connected better with him than with Abby's mom right off the bat. Um, so at first I didn't recognize the behaviors or his behaviors as abuse for a couple reasons. One, I came into this almost 25 years late in regards to how long their marriage uh, was and I didn't come into Abby's life until she had experienced her parents' relationship for 17 years because I met her and started to get to know her when she was 17. So it goes without saying that my perception of what was going on was premature. Uh, another reason is because I had parents that modeled a very healthy marriage for me all my life. So I guess you could say I didn't really know any worse because I hadn't seen it in action. Um, now, my journey into understanding what abuse exactly was, I feel like was also my journey 
and is my continued journey into understanding what God's intention for marriage always has been. Um, so to understand how this is abuse, you have to understand God's word down to the roots and the context of his word in order to understand what healthy headship and submission looks like in marriage. Mm -hmm. um, headship, of course, was intended for the man uh, in regards to creation, but submission is clearly stated for both parties. And headship is not equal to dictatorship, which I'll admit may be an over-exaggeration for most people. They probably know that, but it, or they would say that it's not equal to that, but it's not even equal to dominance, it, which most people may think that it is. So God does give Adam dominion over the earth in Genesis, right? So we do see creation having dominance over a particular thing in creation, but not with each other, not between man and woman, the image bears. Uh, so headship can be off-putting and anxiety-inducing, and because of sinful nature, everybody wants to be in a position of authority over everybody. So it can make the assignment difficult. Additionally, it's easy to say trust and go where God leads. He's perfect, right? He's sinless, all the good things. Men, our husbands in particular, are not. So now some would argue that like in Genesis 3, where the fall happens, and it says that your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you, is actually the beginning of patriarchy. So when we get to Ephesians 5, the headship or notion that a man is supposed to be all authority over a woman is more so a consequence of the fall and not so endemic to creation. When Eve came, Adam didn't see her as someone he could dominate or rule over, but as someone that he could love and as someone that could help fulfill God's plan for his life. She was the balance to his life. Sin did mess everything up. It didn't just disconnect us from the Father, but also disconnected us from one another. Nonetheless, we're called higher as followers of Jesus. So despite sinful nature coming into play, healthy marriage, just like righteousness through Jesus, is obtainable. Through sacrifice and submitting to one another, just as it tells us to do in the Bible. No one sex is better or more dominant than the other, but rather just having different assignments. So I really went on a tangent there, but I say all of that just to say um, my understanding of what biblical headship now is, is why I recognize the behaviors her dad has shown as Amen. patterns. Um, I'd say there were little concerns along the way that I recognized as unhealthy, such as certain ways he handled situations with the kids, certain ways he treated uh, her mom in debate or in front of the kids and other things like that. I even remember one time specifically in, in their kitchen at her house where he, we were in a private conversation talking about who knows what. I remember though, he was telling me about a disagreement that he was having with a church counselor at one point. Um, again, he, he, he told me a lot in depth. Uh, I felt like it was treading the line of gossip uh, about him and her mom's uh, relationship. And so he was talking to me about a church counselor at one point and how he, without getting too into detail, how he thoroughly believed without a doubt in his mind that Jesus would stand behind him and encourage him uh, 
that he was justified in kicking his ass. That's what he said. That was one moment where I realized this guy doesn't know the same Jesus I know. Um, but even through all that, believe it or not, I still believed it to be a sin issue that wasn't too out of the ordinary for a broken man. Um, it wasn't until actually Abby and I sat down with Abby's mom and had a conversation with the intention of changing her mind. This, to backtrack a little bit, this was after the time that they had told us they were separating. Me and Abby, like Abby was saying before, were not on the same page um, yet. So we sat down with that intention of changing her mind. And through that, the Holy Spirit actually ended up changing my mind and showed me the depth of what was going on here. So some moment near the beginning of the sit down, the Holy Spirit spoke to me uh, the first out of the two things he had planned telling me during that conversation. He said, listen to understand, not to respond. It took every ounce of self-control to not give in to my pride in that moment. Abby and I had thought up and typed out a few things on some pieces of paper that we wanted to go over with her and debate with her uh, about what we saw to be a biblical marriage. The audacity, right? <laughs> it's like, it's personally um, a newlywed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was kind of crazy. Of like, uh, instead, we heard her story out first um, because of what the Holy Spirit had told me in that moment. And it broke my heart. Mm -hmm. I grabbed the papers after hearing her story and set them face down because none of it applied anymore. It was so clear. This wasn't a marriage issue. It was uh, her father issue. The inhumane treatment of her mom in past and present situations made the word abuse a more realistic definition for me. I remember God's spirit in me then and there speaking the second thing he planned to tell me during that conversation. Do you really think I'd ask her to stay in this without a change? The answer, of course, for me was no. He shows too much of his character throughout my life and throughout scripture for that to be true. Past that conversation, it was a difficult shift to make coming upstairs back up to her, her father. Um, he knew the conversation was happening and he knew my intention behind it as well. When I finally muzzled up the strength to tell him mine and Abby's change of heart, the immediate change of treatment from him was actually unbelievable. It was like a 180. I would try and try to change his mind as well as some other family members of his because I wanted so badly for them all to experience the freedom I found in the truth of the matter. So it was, it was from there I was fed by multiple family members, biblical and spiritual manipulation, mistreatment, and so, so much confusion that I had to deal with. Back and forth and back and forth I went. Like, it was crazy. Um, I remember him and certain members of his family telling me how wise of a young man I was when I agreed with their narratives. Evidently, that statement has since been taken back. Making sure to stay grounded in my personal relationship with God and mentors that I trusted wholeheartedly and bringing the situation in detail to multiple pastors in my life as well. Me and Abby would do that for a while. Uh, that was key to maintaining a solid understanding of what was right and what was wrong here. Unfortunately, the relationship has never been the same um, since it's sad. I actually mourn the loss of the closeness that me and her dad had. But 
I have accepted the fact now that I've done all that I could have. And the outcome depends on God, which is actually something that brings me a lot of peace. Yes. Yes. Wow. Zeke, that was incredible and an incredible response. And I know that what we're witnessing right now is a miracle in the words that you've said. You've walked into a situation from the outside and it was the Holy Spirit that gave you divine understanding. We know as survivors that it is almost impossible for anyone to understand if they haven't personally walked it. And I think that your communing with the Lord Jesus, you were open to understanding. You were open to the voice of the Spirit. And even while you approached Kristen going, okay, Abby and I had this agenda, you heard, listen, listen first, and you did. I don't even know how to express the level of thankfulness. I can't even. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything you said, everyone inherently, we all want authority over everyone else. That is that is original sin, is the need to be God, the need to be on the same level as God. That was what Adam and Eve were trying to achieve yeah. by eating from the tree of knowledge. And gosh, I, there was a... Um, we just had a conference recently called the Beyond Conference, and one of the speakers at it was the executive director, Pete Singer, for Godly Response to Abuse in a Christian Environment, or GRACE. One of the things he talked about was how when Jesus was in the desert for the 40 days prior to his public ministry, um, the three instances we have of Satan tempting him in the desert are all temptations to misuse power. And that is so inherent in human nature, to want to have power and to want to not just have it, but to hold it over. And that is ultimately what abuse is. Ultimately, abuse is a misuse of power over someone else. And and when we're talking about intimate partner violence, it's it's the misuse of one spouse over the other. And and you had said like you thought initially it was just a normal air quotes, normal sin issue, right? Like we're all broken. We all have sins. It's something that's that's average degree. And I think the interesting thing about abuse specifically as a sin is it's a habitual sin that starts with a really broken perspective about authority and about what love looks like and about what authority looks like in, in a marriage. And that broken perspective breeds those behaviors and it justifies those behaviors. And then that turns into this cycle of then a a well-traveled road of dealing with your issues this way. And that's hard to change. And I think it's that habitual part that makes abuse so challenging to address and so challenging to change is when you've done it for so many years and it gets you something that you want repeatedly, it gets submission, it gets people to, to do whatever it is that you're wanting them to do you justify it and it just becomes very hard to see it in yourself and it becomes very hard to pursue a different way of being. And so, yes, to all of those things. Um, Going back to what Nikki said here um, about your experience of going into that conversation with Kristen and, and coming in looking to debate and ending up listening. And I just think, isn't that 
The opposite of the pride that tends to breed abusive behavior is the humbleness and the willingness to come in and say, I don't know. Let me listen. Let me listen first instead of coming in and saying, let me like smash you over the head with what I think I know. Yeah. Yeah. I hear the heart of a shepherd is what I hear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So kind of a natural question coming out of this is... This is for both of you. How has, Abby, for you growing up in a system where there was abuse, how has that impacted your marriage or has it impacted your marriage? And then Zeke, if you can speak into that too, like how have the two of you worked together through that process of, of seeing some of those hindsight patterns or hurts or harms and, and moving forward in a healthier way? Okay. I, it, it has impacted our marriage. Observing how parents interact, I think, affect you, whether it's good or bad. Like, I know you observe very healthy parents and that, you know, positively affected you. I didn't really come to terms with the fact that what I observed wasn't normal. And I didn't really admit that to myself until I was married. It didn't really officially click in my mind that the patterns that I observed were not actually healthy or normal until I was married. Um, I think the major one that I've really been working on that the Lord's really refining in me right now is how I respond in frustration and disagreement. I think I lived so long just trying to be, I just assumed that unity meant we were agreeing, like we had the same perspective versus um, now it's more of, you know, you might see it differently than I see it, but if we can come come together and either find a solution or at least understand where we're coming from. That is also unity. I think what I observed growing up was just, it was, you had to pick one side to be on. And obviously that led to a lot of arguments and a lot of where my dad would really be aggressive was when my mom didn't agree with something. So that was one thing. The other thing that he's refining is in, in arguments and in disagreements one, that disagreeing is healthy. It's not healthy to keep things to yourself and learning how to communicate what I'm feeling and learning how to express my feelings. So like if I'm angry, that doesn't mean that I get like manipulative because that's like what my natural, that's what I want to do. And allowing the Lord to really refine how I respond to Z, how I process through my emotions. Because I'm so thankful for all of my emotions and all the things, but I want to make sure that when, I, when I'm like really frustrated and really angry about something that I'm not sinning in my anger. And he has been so helpful because he, he lovingly will call out the things that I'm doing or set boundaries. There was one example. I was really frustrated about something and he'll do one of two things. He'll either say, um, like, I'm not going to continue in this conversation until you calm down. Or there was there was one time I was really upset about something. And I, I like walked away and I was like, fine, I'm going to sleep on the couch. And that was something that one was, time, one time. Okay. Oh, that's the thing. <laughs> you did the right thing. I was so mad because I was like, I'm, I don't even know what I was saying, but I was like, I'm going to sleep on the couch. And like, we had decided that that was something we weren't going to do. And so he said, fine, we're going to sleep together. And so he came out to the couch. And slept in the most awkward position so that he could <laughs> he could love me through that and say, no, that's not what we're going to do in our marriage. 
like we are we're in this together so it's been such a blessing to be married to him because not only has he shown me so much grace but he's also shown me how I should be responding in a lot of those situations um because he was able to see what healthy marriage dynamic looks like so mm-hmm. you can tell your wheels are thinking they're well, moving <laughs> well I'm personally I'm blessed to have uh a marriage emulated for me that was so reflective of God and his character. And so and it wasn't perfect either. It's like, so to be clear, Abby's not the bad guy. I'm not the good guy. Like in this, I have a lot of baggage too that I carry into our marriage and uh, she gives me grace and I give her grace back. So like, there's been a lot of instances in our marriage where I mean, Abby's just in a good way. She's very self-conscious and she's thinking through how she I'm acts. S- I'm self-aware. She's self-aware. I should say self-aware. That's a better word. Good phrase for one. She's asked me uh, multiple times, am I my dad or mm-hmm. I'm afraid that I'm my dad. And my response every time is the fact that you're asking that Mm-hmm. you are not your dad so mm-hmm. uh, abby doesn't struggle with narcissism and she doesn't struggle with abusive tendencies mm-hmm. like her dad overall it um i feel like the situation with the abuse that was emulated in her marriage from her dad's side uh has actually thankfully you know by the grace of god it's brought us closer i feel like we've we bonded through it because, you know, having each other in it and comfort of each other has has been key. And it's been hard, you know. Um, all marriages are hard, of course, but this isn't a marriage podcast, so we're not going to go into the nitty-gritty of all that. But when you've grown up all your life seeing conflict handled terribly, you're probably pretty bound to taking some weight of that into your marriage. So I think it's something we're continuing to work through and on, to be honest, but our understanding that it truly is a marriage issue in our situation, uh, you know, like wasn't in her parents' situation. It was uh, her dad issue. It, It continues to let us grow and gives us an assurance that we can get through it and anything else together. There's some marriages in our lives that we've been able to, I mean, a lot of times when we're around other married couples, we'll later on talk about like what we admire or like something that maybe we don't want to do in our marriage. So I think it's allowed us to have a lot of those hard conversations about what we want our marriage to continue to look like. And honestly, I mean, I think the overarching theme of all of this is just the Lord's grace. The only explanation to walking through all of this and having the perspective that we do and even just having a relatively healthy marriage is the Holy Spirit and and what he has revealed to us individually and how he's worked and continued to work through both of us. We learned a lot. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I feel very protected by Zeke. The fact that like he he has the perspective that he does has immensely helped me. And the fact that you're empathetic and validate. And I'll, I mean, there's different seasons, ebbs and flows of of certain days that are really hard. And he he sits in comforts and speaks truth and um, has been a blessing to have. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I'm thinking of a, there's this quote from psychologist Adam Grant where he says, you don't need agreement in your relationships. You need alignment. Mm-hmm. You don't need identical opinions. You need shared values. And you don't need to go on the same path. You need to be going in the same direction. And I think when we can allow that healthy room for individuality, that's equally as important. It's almost going back to what we were talking about earlier with kids. When kids feel safe, they have the ability to experience that full range of emotions. And it's kind of the same in your marriage, right? Like if you are under a very oppressive marriage or a very oppressive relationship, you have to conform or face the consequences. When you're in a healthy relationship, you can both bring something really beautiful and unique to that. And and if you both have the humbleness and the willingness to submit to one another, to listen to one another, it makes you stronger. It grows you closer together. It allows you to work through that stuff. Whereas that's not possible when you have to be in in perfect conforming alignment. (laughs) Yeah. It's amazing to hear the the level of desire and uh, honestly passion to build a bridge in all conversations. Um, what a what an amazing picture! Honestly, we could sit and listen, to you guys, for so long. I could. I and I'm like, we can do a marriage podcast yet. <laughs> we can come back. We can talk about healthy relationships. It'd actually probably be a great topic. <laughs> so, kind of our 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 sort of closing out question here is. Is, is, I think, br- wrapping up this idea that, Abby, we followed your, your life up until now. You're in your mid-20s now. And as an adult kid who has grown up in a family where there was abuse and then walked out of it, walked into a healthier relationship, a healthy marriage, and is now independent of your family and yet remains in contact with them, mm-hmm. how has that gone for you like what does your relationship look like now both with your mom and with your dad and I don't know if we mentioned this earlier but they are divorced so yeah. mentioned in Kristen's podcast that divorce did happen it did go through do you keep in contact with both of your parents and how does it look to have boundaries in those relationships yeah I know I have some stuff to say and you can also speak on it too um Obviously, both my relationships with my parents look different. My mom and I are a lot closer. I think naturally, just because we're both we're both females, but just because she is a lot healthier. And so, her and I have a lot of a lot of conversations. Um, you know, some of the things that I process through, even going through the separation and the divorce of figuring out how to set boundaries with my dad. I think the Lord lovingly kind of brought the topic of what boundaries are kind of at the perfect time when all of that was going on. And then again, my dad and I have a slightly different relationship. It's kind of changed over time. I think something that I would have wished I could have told my myself when all this went down is the boundaries that I'm setting, they are allowed to change and they're going to look different during different times. And so when things were initially going on, there were a few phone conversations that we had that went really poorly. And so for a while, I set the boundary that I'm not going to respond to phone calls. That's also kind of extended to some of my extended family, some other males in my family who originally were calling me because they knew I was in agreement. And when that switched, uh, the calls lessened, but they were still calling. And I finally had to set the boundary with my grandpa, the same one that I love you. I wish I could talk to you. But unfortunately, due to how you speak to me on the phone, I'm no longer going to pick up when you call. 
And so that was kind of the initial one. When my dad did move out, I also set the boundary that I he had gotten a new apartment and I just was not comfortable going over there. It felt very celebratory to move into a new place. And so I've actually kept that boundary for the past year and a half, almost two years, mm-hmm. however long it's been that I still have not gone over to his apartment. Like I'm happy to have conversations either here while Zeke's here or have conversations in like a public place. But I just did not want to go over and and almost celebrate. Um, that's kind of been the same case with him because he started to date now. Uh, same thing, same boundary of I have yet to meet the girlfriend um, as I don't, I don't want to be celebrating those life milestones. I know that a time will probably come and that boundary will shift and change. But something that I've learned about boundaries is they're for protection. So I felt very safe. As someone who really tried to people please, probably to keep my father happy in situations, um, I'm doing what's called growing a backbone and learning how to stand up for myself and protect myself and use wisdom that the Lord's given me to make decisions that are protective because that's not what the Lord wants. He doesn't want me to be walked all over, but make safe decisions and decisions that are honoring to the the scenario. I think also setting boundaries has been helpful because I'm not only protecting myself, protecting us, but also, you know, in a, in a lovingly way, explaining to my dad that his behavior is not okay, that I'm not just going to allow that to keep happening, particularly because it's sin. I'm not going to allow you to keep sinning and say that that's okay. And so my hope is too that my siblings see those boundaries and not in a way to control my dad, but really just in a way to protect protect me and protect the situation and also stand up for myself. So boundaries have been super helpful. The church we go to um, is a church we've been to for quite a few years and um, actually where we met. And some of my siblings, as well as my dad, have started to attend that church. And so that was really something that I had to work through was having my dad at church at this place that felt safe to us to have him there. And that's been its own journey in itself of really just trying to focus on on the Lord when I'm at church and focusing on, yes, this person has hurt me, but I love him. And, you know, the prayer has been the whole time that even though my parents are now divorced, that my dad would come to a place of really listening to what the Holy Spirit is saying and listening to that conviction and ultimately leading to repentance. So um, that's a lot with boundaries, <laughs> but I've learned a lot about about where we're at. Um, I think it's harder maybe for my siblings to understand. Originally, they were really upset that I didn't want to go over to my dad's apartment. Uh, But now I don't really know what they think other than they've just respected that. It's been uncomfortable at times because he continues to invite me over. But I'm proud of myself for the boundaries that we've been able to set. And I think it's been crucial that he's very supportive of the boundaries that I've placed. And I'm the type of person who likes to plan and prepare for scenarios. And there's been a few that we've had conversations about, like, if this hypothetically happens, what is my response going to be? And you've been very supportive. And that's been comforting to know that he, he respects the boundaries and is supportive of me, even when, like, my dad has had conversations with him about things, about, like, boundaries I'm setting. He's, he's supportive of me, even, like, when I'm not around. Right. I mean, I would pretty much 
ditto or second everything that you said. Um, I, I have, and I'll always make sure that Abby knows that her boundaries with her dad don't and shouldn't have to look like my boundaries with her dad. Obviously, that should go without saying because we're all individuals with different experiences, right? So there's two different levels of relationship there, first and foremost. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's two different levels of comfort and two different levels of safety um, at hand when we're putting ourselves in those situations. So it's different for me than it is for her. And it's different for us than it is for her mom as to how it'll look moving forward um, and how it has looked moving forward. I do think continuing a relationship with him in some capacity is necessary, but not, not the access that we give him. Like that, that can and will be different than it was before. We don't see him near as much. I make sure that he still knows how we feel about the situation and his behaviors. But I also try to make sure that he knows and feels uh, how much we still love him and how much God still loves him. I also make sure Abby knows that she's protected by both me and God in all of this and that he has it figured out even when we don't. Um, which brings me to, I guess, the main thing, which is like Abby hinted on earlier, we pray for him ceaselessly. Yes, It has become clear at this point in time that if anything will change in him at this point, it will be a godly revelation that sparks that change. It can't be anything else. It can't be anything we say or do or anything anybody else says or do. It can only be God. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Boy, isn't that the truth? It is and takes revelation from the Lord himself. Isn't that true? And I can speak and maybe you would agree, Abby, that you can try every angle. You can try every, every angle. And somebody that wants unity and you want it to work and you want everything to be okay and you want the abuse to stop. And yet, Zeke, you are so right on. It took a long time for for me to come to really grab and hold that truth dear to my heart that it is the Lord Jesus who changes and resurrects and gives revelation. Right. What a what a piece of wisdom you're throwing out there to offer that to all of us. Yeah, do you guys have any any last thoughts or things that you would like to add in or or mention before we sign off here? Um I know we're in a unique a unique scenario where statistically a lot of kids don't share the same perspective that we have. I think um like we've kind of talked about it's it's a lot easier to side with the perpetrator just out of safety and I know there's probably going to be a lot of parents listening to this and even people who are in scenarios and while everyone's stories is going to look different I'm so thankful that my mom spent so much time praying into the, all of this I know it took many 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 years to get to the point where she's at now but two things one it's been so cool to see how much the Lord provided for her mm -hmm. post divorce I know that yep. um she <laughs> she often lives very um what's the word 
she's a she's a planner. She prepares for things, makes decisions that are very like safe. And I know she had a lot of fears and a lot of prayers, you know, post-divorce of like just realistic. Like, am I going to be able to keep the house? And, you know, how am I going to provide for X, Y, and Z? And it's been so cool to see just the joy that's come back in my mom's life. She's she's like so, so good with the Lord. I know that obviously a divorce is a really heavy thing. And all of the emotions surrounding that are totally, totally valid. But it's also been so cool to see the hope and just the joy come back in her life. And the fact that like, it's so cool, the amount of stories where the Lord just provides in so many cool ways, the way he's just protected her and taking care of her. And I just want parents to know out there, like there's so there's so much value in praying for your kids. And I admire the relationship that my mom has with the Lord. And I know that that is greatly infect, affected mine. And that's, I mean, I, I truly think that is one of the key things as to why I have such a strong relationship with the Lord is because I witnessed mom and just her dedication to the Lord unwavering through all of this. I imagine as a parent in a situation like that, it can feel very hopeless because you're weighing all these things. I know my mom's voiced that um, she was willing to stay if it meant benefiting us kids. And I'm honestly thankful that she finally did set the boundary and stand up for herself and saying, nope, I'm not going to allow this sin anymore because it was standing up for us kids in a way because she finally said, no, this is like, this is not okay. This is sinful. Enough is enough. That was more loving. And I think honestly, it was more loving to my siblings as well. And while they may not see it that way, I see it that way, that it was loving for her to make the choices that she did to remove herself because it said that it, it, that it wasn't healthy. It wasn't okay. That a marriage with those behaviors is not honoring to the Lord's idea of a marriage and his relationship with us, the church. Um, and so obviously that comes with a lot, but I just want parents to know who are in that situation. Like the Lord, the Lord has got your kids. And like I said, I, I think a major reason why I'm here today is because of the prayer that my mom spent praying over us kids, just representing Jesus so well and praying over this whole situation. Like there were there were times where she was just on her hands and knees and weeping and praying. And I think that that just speaks highly of her and everything she's walked through. And I mean, it, we've witnessed a lot of emotions, especially with the divorce and even the way she handled herself through that. Didn't allow herself to get bitter or resentful or um, like she still has not spoken poorly about my dad. Um, has still been so honoring to him and allowed the Lord to really use her life. And so I'm so thankful for that. Mm -hmm. Survivors out there hear the Holy Spirit through an amazing daughter and mm -hmm. uh, your prayers for your kids um, are never, ever, ever wasted because the Lord is your keeper, it says in Psalm 121. And the Lord is your shade on your right hand and for your kids. And the sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. And the Lord will keep you from all evil. And he will keep your life. And the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Those truthful words that you utter 
on behalf of your kids through the Holy Spirit that intercedes on your behalf matter? just felt like I wanted to, like there's listeners, obviously, and I wanted to commend all of, I mean, the bravery that it takes for a woman or a man caught in a narcissistic system. Like it takes massive amounts of bravery to leave that system. Um, massive. It's not for the faint of heart. You have to be ready to lose everything to get out of it. You're about to lose everything if you leave a narcissist or an abuser. Uh, if you're, even if you're in a dating relationship and you're getting those red flags, leave, bro. Like, get out. You don't want to be in there for too much longer. Um, if you're in a marriage, there are resources for you. Thank you all for doing this podcast. It's, it means a lot for so many people. And so I just want to affirm both of you and I want to affirm the families and uh, that will surround people in those situations and help them out of it. And you're, you know, you better not let yourself like be gaslighted on the way out even. Um, because there are so many people that truly will surround you and God will construct and enforce that to happen. Um, cause when you leave the party that is the abuser will tell you that it's all your fault, but it's not. Um, and you gotta be prepared for all that. So yeah, I just want to commend the bravery is mainly what I'm trying to get at here and love y'all. And yeah, that's, that's it. Inspire. And I think that's the perfect way to end this because Abby, I look at you and I think you're a testimony of that. You know, you're the testimony of of survival of the good and beautiful things that God brings out of wickedness, right? Like God hates wickedness and he hates evil and he hates sin and he hates oppression and he hates abuse. God hates abuse. And God is able to use those experiences to bring forward life. He's able to take a life that has been burned to nothing, to ash, mm -hmm. and somehow enrich the soil of your life with that ash so that it can grow better things in the future. And when I think about your mom, especially, Kristen, sharing her story, not just on her podcast, which was an immense amount of bravery, but sharing that story first with both of you yeah. and sharing that as she was planning to separate, as she was planning to lose everything, in order to set that boundary, in order to stand up for herself. The courage that that took, the cost that it was, and also the outcome that it brought. I mean, even listening to you, Zeke, earlier, just like rattle off theology around why abuse is a breaking of the marriage covenant. Like that is something that came directly out of that experience, that came directly out of the courage of speaking up. And so you're 100% right. We've seen it over and over and over again. There's an immense cost that comes with standing up to abuse, and there is also immense blessing that comes out of it somehow through the, the miraculous ways that God moves. Right. And you feel lighter than you ever have before. For sure, because freedom. It's a weird thing to walk out of when you spent, you know, 20, 30 years being oppressed by someone mm -hmm. in the name of love. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. thank you so much, Abby and Zeke, for... Um, sharing your story, your experiences, your wisdom with us today. It has been an absolute pleasure. Likewise. Yeah, thank you for allowing us to share, yeah. to share a story. 
We could not be more honored, and that is the truth. You've been listening to Seeking Sanctuary House to Hearts. This podcast is a production of House of Faith and Freedom with your host, Hannah and Nikki. For more information about intimate partner violence training for the church, please check out our website at houseoffaithandfreedom.org.